Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word what a blessing it is to see God working in people's lives. And, and John chapter 21, we see that. We see God's power manifested. Uh, but it first comes, it's almost this passage is a comparison contrast. Do you remember in school when your English teacher would say, okay, we're going to write a comparison contrast paper? How many of you were super excited about that? Y'all are weird. All right, and y'all know it, and you know you're weird. Listen, the reality is that sometimes it's like, okay, this is, it may be interesting to read, but it's not all that fun to write. But here we have in the pages of John 21, God is comparing, uh, and comparing here what we can do in our own strength and what God does in His strength. And there's a huge difference. And today is our ministry expo. And if you're new to Hillside or maybe uh, you're looking for a way to get involved in serving others, uh, let me just encourage you to take a, take a moment and go through the tables out there. There are ways to get involved uh, and serve others in our church and, and serve our community. And so we want to encourage you to take a look out there before you leave today. But as we look at this, we see that God works in awesome ways. And there is truly, His power is on full display here. You know, throughout history, we've been uh, obsessed with power, haven't we? And, and throughout that, matter of fact, if you go back from the days of the legends where we uh, created the legend of Hercules all the way to the Olympic Games to uh, even today, I, I was reading a story this week about a man named David Huxley. He strapped a harness around his upper torso and he attached it to a, a 15-yard-long cable, uh, 15 yard long cable and he pulled a 747 down the runway, a hundred, uh, how long was it, 187 tons, and he pulled it for one minute and 21 seconds. Man, that is incredible for me. Uh, and so I, I was curious, okay, I want to see some guy do this. And so uh, you get on your, your trusty YouTube and you look it up, and, and some guy named Eddie Hall, he's a Briton, and I showed this to my boys, and my boys are like, Dad, that dude's a beast. He was, I don't know, over six foot tall and about 400 pounds and every bit of it about this big around, you know, muscles like this. And he's pulling this airliner down the road and we're like, wow, that is awesome. Why? Because we have a great respect and reverence for power, don't we? Man, if, you're, if you've got a car with more than 500 horsepower, say amen. Well, most of us don't. How many of you want a car with more than 500? Never mind. We'd all get tickets and it wouldn't be worth it. Here's the reality. We, we appreciate power, but really the greatest power we could ever see is when God demonstrates His power. Listen, we can do a lot of things in our own strength, but we can't do what God can do. And throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that we serve a supernatural God who has all power. Jesus said just before He left this earth, He said, All power is given unto me. Now, that word power there means all authority, but we see here even uh, that is manifest at creation that just by speaking the words, all things came into existence. 
Listen, God has never been bound by the impossible. Think about that for a minute. God is not bound by the impossible. And so many times we put God in our box and we say, well, that's impossible. But with God... Church, let me just remind you that we serve, that's the God we serve today. The God that we serve is not a, a weak God that uh, reflects my inabilities. We serve a God who is the God of the impossible. And I just want to see that here as we glimpse into the Scriptures and we see what God did tremendously here on the seashore. And it may not be much to any of you, but to me, when I look at the Scripture, I can't help but say, wow, don't we serve an awesome God? And we see this here very uh, wonderfully uh, portrayed. Let me just share a couple of Scriptures with you. Psalm chapter 33 and verse number 9 is speaking of the creation. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's the power of our God today. Listen, God would choose Israel. He would choose a people uh, that even Moses would, uh, would write did nothing to deserve God's favor. Then He supernaturally provided for them during great famines and wars. And after 400 years in Egypt, God led them supernaturally across the bottom of a dry uh, Red Sea even with the walls of the water standing on, on end. And then when they were in spiritual darkness, we see the prophet Elijah uh, repaired the altar of the Lord and then had servants of the Lord dump water on the, on the altar and on the wood. And after praying just a short prayer, this sopping wet wood roared to life. That's God's supernatural work. And then another prophet was living in a, a rebellion, and in his rebellion, he went the opposite direction. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went where? Tarshish. He said, I'm going to Tarshish. And so he, he jumped on a boat. When the, when the waves become tempestuous, they threw him overboard, and Jonah was swallowed by a whale. We remember those stories because God is the God of the impossible. But the, the rest of that story is just as miraculous as God then directs that whale to get a bellyache, and he regurgitates him on dry land. It's a miracle. Then other uh, stories we read of where uh, the donkey speaks to Balaam. We read of the dead children raised back to life and great armies defeated by just 300 men. Over and over and over we go to the Word of God and we see the God, our God, is the God of all miracles. And one of the greatest miracles of all times was when a virgin conceived and gave birth to God in the flesh. Man, what a great thing. And then it just didn't end there because God then took that life, Jesus Christ, and, and He lived a perfect, sinless life. He never once disobeyed His parents, never once lied. He never once, if He had a, a, a camel that went too fast over the speed limit, He never got a speeding ticket. Listen, He never once disobeyed. He was always in obedience to the Father. But then... He demonstrated His power by resurrecting from the dead when the Romans nailed Him on the cross. I tell you, we serve a wonderfully powerful God. And in Ephesians, Paul would encourage the church there to be reminded that our God knows no impossibilities. He says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He says, remember that your God is bigger than your imagination. It's the same supernatural power that was made available to the church in that early days on the day of Pentecost now indwells the spirit uh, or the, the lives of believers today. You see, God is still God today. As we come to John 21, I just want to just let us just for a moment see the miracle 
of what God did here. And so join with me in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, and we see this heavenly power of Christ in verse number 1. It says, And after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed He Himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Canaan, Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of His disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not afraid to draw, uh, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And soon, as soon as they, uh, then they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring, ye, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net uh, to land full of great fishes, and hundred and uh, fifty and three. Uh, and for all there were so many, yet was not uh, the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Then Jesus cometh, and breaketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. Now is this the third time that Jesus showed himself unto his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Let's stop and pray there. Father, we thank you for this, uh, for this passage we've read this morning. And we thank you for the book of John, how he just demonstrates over and over again, not only his love for his Savior, but the power that is in the Son of God. We thank you that He is still powerful today, that He still saves lives, and He's still at work in our church and in our families. We just pray that today You would draw us close to You. Help us, Lord, to lay down our human weaknesses and rest in You completely. We pray to You now. Lord, guide us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come back to this scripture, and I remind you that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. The disciples have seen Him already on a couple of uh, occurrences. Uh, and so we already have seen even Thomas, who was doubting Thomas because of his unbelief. Now he's with the disciples and said, listen, I'm not meet, leaving you this time. And he's staying with, uh, with the disciples. And we see just the tremendous power that God has already displayed over the grave. And He reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is, uh, is, is greater than even death. Uh, death, where is thy victory? O, o sting, where is... Uh, o death... Well, thank you very much. Good, y'all got it. If you don't have it, it's in 1 Corinthians 15 because it's not in here today. But let me just encourage you that God's power is even over things that we fear the most. And one of the greatest fears we have is death. But Jesus said, listen, I, I am able to overcome even that great thing. His power is that wonderful. And now as He comes to the seashore uh, here, Peter has not yet uh, received the forgiveness of Christ, has not had that unity there. And Peter's struggling with a lot of things going on in his life. They've seen Christ, but yet uh, to come, as we preached the last couple of weeks in verses 15 through 25, how that Christ would restore Peter and use his life in a tremendous way. But Peter now, in a, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of doubt, says, 
man, let's go fishing. Let's do something that's comfortable. Let's do something that we, we can uh, maybe get used to. Us. You know, we think about strength. And a lot of times we think, man, I'm, I've got strength to overcome this. But one of the strongest men in the Bible was Samson. Do you remember Samson? Long hair, uh, maybe dreadlocks. I'm not sure what it looked like exactly. But this is what I do know is that even his mighty strength failed to keep him safe because eventually the passions of his heart led him astray and his moral fa failures caused him to fail. Listen, none of us are able without the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the glory of young men is their strength. Amen? And the beauty of old men is the gray head. Isn't that good? As I get more and more salt in my, in my pepper, I realize that I am so thankful that as the strength fades, God gives you a little bit more wisdom. Amen? So whereas used to, you just, you just grab a rock and you lay hold of it. Now you sit back and you say, let's think about this first. That's wisdom. Listen, this is what the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 31. The hoary head or gray head is a crown of glory, and he puts his caveat in it, if it be found in the way of righteousness. Listen, I've known a lot of people who have gray hair, but they're not very wise. Right? And that's a sad thing. But when we walk with the Lord, then God says that there is glory in even the aged man. You see, the moral fiber of a man is valued far more than any physical strength. It's this moral fiber that is tainted by the fall of Adam, and we are all sinners. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, the problem is that none of us can live perfectly. And that's what Peter is about to learn. Peter was learning in this situation, it is impossible for Peter to live perfectly. He couldn't have the power of God in his life. And these other disciples, they were learning an important lesson. And the lesson for us in 2023 is, listen, I can't live this life without God today. I can't live without resting in Him, leaning upon Him, trusting in Him. And so it doesn't require me uh, pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, right? Where's my Texans out there? Listen, you know what it requires? Me to wait upon the Lord. What happens? Why is it that Peter failed? So I want to take a couple of moments here and just look at this human weaknesses. And this is what happens. And maybe you'll be able, like me, to be able to identify with some of the things that happened in Peter's life. And the very first thing that we saw is he grew impatient. You ever grew impatient with God? Amen, preacher. You're just afraid to say it. I'll say it for you. I tell you, we can grow so impatient. We live in a microwave generation. Man, I want it done in 30 seconds or less. Man, I, I, want, I want to see God take me from zero to hero like that, right? I want to see a, a, a switch flipped, and instead of uh, struggling in my sin, I want to be able to have victory every single time. But prior to this event, we find that Christ instructs Peter just to simply wait. Listen to Acts 1.4. And being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Listen, it's important for us to understand that there's times where God wants us to be still. Just to be still and know that He is God. That's an important lesson, but it's a hard lesson. Peter is just as impatient as many of us in the, in the 21st century. Man, I think he might have had a microwave somewhere hiding in his hut too. Because he wanted things done pretty quick. And, and we look at his life, and these six others that were with him, they, instead of waiting upon the Lord, instead of waiting for Christ, they said, listen, let's go fishing. What were they saying? Let's go, find, let's go do something that's comfortable. 
Let's go do something that we're, that's easy. Let's go do something that we're familiar with. Man, as we think about this, it's easy to grow a little bit maybe cynical or judgmental toward Peter, but that can be our life. You ever been in a place where you're waiting on God to bring healing because there's, there's sickness, there's someone that your love is broken? Maybe you're, you're waiting on a wayward child to come back to Jesus Christ. Tell you what, there's times where that can be the most difficult time of waiting. There's times where maybe sometimes we're, we're just waiting uh, for God to work in a financial situation or crisis. And we look at these situations and we think, Lord, are you working? And so we begin, instead of waiting on God, we don't, we don't go fishing necessarily. Of course, some, some of us like to fish. But what we begin to do is we begin to try to manipulate a situation so that it works out the way we think it should be. There was two sisters who both loved Jesus Christ. And they demonstrated it. They loved Him and they, they served Him. But their love looked a little different. And I want to go back to Mary and Martha just for a second in Luke chapter 10. You can turn there with your Bible. We're going to read in Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. And we see Mary and Martha, both of them loved Jesus Christ, I believe, with all their heart. But what we see is two types of people. I often say that there are beers and doers, right? Some people are content just to be, just to have that relational experience. And we have some of this reflected in our own home. And then there's some people that don't feel satisfied unless they accomplish something. I'm a to-do list person. Man, I like to get things done. So this is my frailty. In verse number 38, it says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Now they're good friends. We see that in the next chapter, who raised Lazarus from the dead. A tremendous family, loved Jesus Christ. And it goes on, it says, And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Mary, Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You know, we see this passage of Scripture, and, and Jesus obviously uh, is pointing out to Martha that there are some things that are more important. And this is something that, that I'll be honest, I'm a Martha. I like to get things done. Aren't you thankful for Martha's? I mean, I'm thankful for the Martha's in our kitchen who cook. Man, we've got the best cooks in all of uh, in any church I've ever been in. Man, I, I, that's one of my favorite things is to sit down to a good meal at Hillside. But listen... The reality is that God wants us, even as Martha's, to step back and be a Mary. To be still and to wait on the Lord. To be still and, and let Him minister. Why? What is it about waiting? Because waiting is hard work. It's really hard work for Martha. It's really hard work for, for someone like Peter who sits there and he's like, well, there's other things we could do, like I can go fishing and supply for my family, uh, or we can wait on Jesus. Let's, let's figure out what we're going to do here. But you see, God wants us to be patient. He wants us to learn to wait because patience is a waiting on God. I like what Chuck Swindoll wrote in his book, Growing Strong. He said, true patience is waiting without worrying. It's this idea of being still is illustrated by God on the seventh day of creation. When, Christ, uh, when the Lord created all things, the seventh day He rested. And then in the Ten Commandments, He even says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You see, it was about waiting on the Lord. And so I, Isaiah even encourages us, and many of you probably have this as your life verse, but he says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their 
strength. Listen, there is value in waiting. You see, when we come to church on Sunday, this is what we call the Lord's Day. It's about being able to remember the sacrifices of Jesus Christ. It's about celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. It's about pointing others to Jesus. But it's also uh, being able to be still in in a day of restlessness. It's about being able to say, Lord, I want to just be led by You today. I want to be in a place where Your Spirit can speak to me. I want to be in a position, and I want to be in a location, God, where I can heed Your Word. You see, the Lord's Day is, is about assembling together, yes, but it's about being still and letting God minister. But sometimes we get so busy. I love what the, what the psalmist said. He says in Psalms 40 in verse number 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me, and He heard my cry. You see, in his waiting, he realized this is a time that I need to talk to the Father. It was this time of waiting on God that led him uh, back to the Lord and a desire to be able to uh, make known the supplications that were on his heart. Christian, sometimes we neglect prayer not because we don't believe in prayer, but because we're busy. Because the demands of this life uh, keep us awake in the middle of the night. The demands of this life call us to action as soon as our feet hit the floor. The demands of this life don't give us a moment of rest. And that's why it's important to guard a day in your week, guard time in your schedule that is dedicated to talking with God. Listen, there is nothing more important. I believe Peter might have had a different response in verse number 21 if he just spent time in prayer instead of time going and fishing. Now, this is especially true in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus lays out that command, wait. And then we see later that Christ is called up into heaven. He ascends into heaven. But then the the disciples sit there and they wait. But they don't just sit, they pray together. And that is especially essential in our time of waiting. You know, honestly, there's times in the morning I feel rushed. Anybody else feel like your mornings are rushed Monday through Friday? Man, you get up and boy, you, you, you've got a routine. I've got a routine every morning. I get up and I start the coffee pot. Can I get an amen? Man, nectar of life, please come to me. All right, and so that gets me going in the morning. On the cold days, I always light a fire for the family so it's nice and warm. And then I get, and I get alone with the Lord. But there's sometimes, even in those moments, that I can feel rushed by the demands that are happening later in the day. And oftentimes I have to just I have to stop and say, Lord, I'm feeling anxious. Lord, I'm feeling rushed this morning. And it's, I, I just need to hear from you this morning. Would you help put aside all the cares of this day and help me, Lord, just to hear from heaven for a moment? You see, because those times of connecting with the Lord are so important. And so may we choose to have patience in that time because patience works. James said this in James chapter 1 and verse number 3 and 4, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Ouch. And we don't want that, do we? We don't want the first part of that verse for sure. The trying of your faith worketh patience. You know what that means? God's going to take you through some trials. But oftentimes it's those trials that lead us to the cross. Oftentimes it's those trials that lead us back to a place where we can find uh, respite and we can find hope and we can find healing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is so important then that even, in, especially in those trials, that we say, Lord, I'm going to wait upon You. And he says this in verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. You know what he's saying? He says, let it work. God's going to work in your heart. 
God's going to work in your life. And I believe that that was what God was trying to do in Peter's life as well here. He says, listen, I want you to learn the importance of just simply waiting on me. In the Garden of Eden, Jesus Christ illustrated this. The, the night He was taken to be crucified on the cross, we find Him in the garden praying in Gethsemane. And as He's praying, He's pouring out His burden to the Lord, and He's making His supplication known to the Father. And Jesus Christ, and though He had had a busy day in ministry, He was alone in the garden praying and seeking the presence of the Father to give Him strength for the time that would come. You see, when we enter into trials, it is pertinent that we take not just a little bit of time, but copious amounts of time to be alone with the Lord in prayer. It's not time to run to our hobbies and comforts. Rather, it's time to reflect on the goodness of God, to bring our burdens before Him, and to know that He is a God who loves us. Romans 15 and verse 4 says it like this so beautifully, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Notice Paul instructs the church in Rome to unselfish living in this passage, but that he includes this idea and this importance of lingering in the Word of God. This patience and labor in the Word brings us hope. You're looking for hope today. It's found on the covers of the Scriptures. There's nothing so sweet as knowing that God loves us and reading it in the pages of His precious Word. And so if you're like me, maybe you're like Martha, maybe you're like Peter, in that regard. And you find yourself in the, in the moment when you should be waiting, rushing through onto the next thing and the, the next project and, and moving forward. Let me just encourage you what the Bible says in Psalms 46, 1 and 2. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear, though the earth be removed... It seems like everything in this world has been cast down. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though everything around us seems to be crumbling, he says in verse number 10, Be still and know that I am on God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, the problem with the human weakness is, is we are often impatient and we rush ahead, but we also see the result of that in verses 3 through 5. Look there back in your Bible and we see that it is impotent. There's no power in our resting in our own abilities. Verse 3, the last part of that, says, They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught what, church? Nothing. You know, quite honestly... Sometimes we wonder, why in the world would I want to grow in patience with the Lord? Why would I want to grow in learning to wait on the Lord? Well, the result is we see the end of our human ability and we see the beginning of His ability. You see, church, it's so important that we say, Lord, it's not by my might, not by my power, but by the Lord. You see, Peter and these other disciples, they were about to go out and they were going to go fishing. Now, most fishermen, they know the honey holes, right? If you fishermen, you know where you're going to catch fish. And you say, well, if that spot doesn't work, then I always know that they're going to be in this spot. And you can go someplace. And, and these fishermen, they weren't like, like me where they just threw that lure out there and just hoping with a prayer and a hope. That's, that's how I fish. Anybody else fish with a prayer and a hope? Amen. And, and most of the time, the Lord just gets a good laugh out of me. But these fishermen, they knew what they were doing, and so they had the boats, they had their nets, and they went out, and they began to, uh, to, to look for the fish, the schools of fish. But God in His infinite power directed those fish away from them that night. They didn't catch one thing. Listen, God was trying to teach them an important lesson. You see, sometimes we want to do things in our own power and our own ability, but God says, listen, you can't do it 
on your own. You ever wondered, why is my walk with God sometimes a crawl? Why is there a lack of passion for a Savior who gave everything for me? Why is the lack of victory over sin in the average Christian's life? Why is there a lack of power uh, in order to, sh- uh, to shake this world for Christ? And I, I believe the, the, the words of Billy Sunday ring true. He that is stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. You see, that's why God was trying to teach him, listen, it's time to be still and to wait on the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament was a a king that was above kings. I mean, he was uh, the leader of Babylon, which was the greatest country in all the land. He had some beautiful gardens, and he had some the, the, which were some of the greatest uh, seven ancient wonders of the world. It's just a tremendous uh, place where he lived, but he was also very proud. And Daniel warned him, listen, if you don't humble yourself, God's going to humble you. In Daniel chapter 4, and verses 30 and 31, we see the result of this. And the king spake and said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might and of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And the Bible says in verse 31, While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Now if you know your Bible history, you know that Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years uh, wandering in the fields like an animal. Listen, the greatest, most powerful man in the region suddenly, in an instant, is overthrown and is running around in the fields like a dog. Listen, what he failed to realize was I am impotent without God. I have no power without the Lord. Babylon was a magnificent place, but it was the Lord that blessed it, not Nebuchadnezzar. Right before World War II, the city of Pasadena was having an annual, uh, uh, their annual tournament of roses parade. And the float, uh, the Standard Oil Company entered a float. It was a beautiful float. It was covered with American Beauty roses. And it was truly one of those sights to behold. But in the middle of the, of the uh, and, and the funny thing is, the, the theme of the parade was be prepared. Remember, we're going into World War II. And so right in the middle of the parade, though, the Standard Oil float ran out of gas. What is hilarious is the Standard Oil Company had almost a limitless supply of gas, but someone forgot to fill up the float. Listen, even though we have access to God's omnipotence, sometimes we don't avail it of ourselves to it. We try to do it in our own power. So let's look at the heavenly power of Christ that's on display here very quickly this morning. Let's see this heavenly power because in stark contrast to Peter and the disciples, we see Christ commands, uh, His commands are vividly on display here. Verse number 6, and, uh, and, and we'll pick up the reading here. And Jesus answered them and said, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Listen, if you could just imagine with your mind's eye what is happening on this seashore. And all night, these men have been fishing. And if you've been fishing all night, it's exhausting. Especially if you've not caught anything. If you catch and fish, it's fun. It's exhilarating. Boy, there was one night we were night fishing and we brought up some crappie. And I, I caught like a 15 and a half inch crappie. Man, I was like, man, this is awesome. I think it was my only catch that night, but that's another story. But listen, we, you're fishing and man, you're catching stuff and it's exhilarating. You have all the energy to go, but when you're not catching anything... It's like, will this night never end? And these guys were exhausted. They're coming into the shore. And they see this man. They didn't recognize Jesus. And they see this man on the seashore. And he said, have you caught anything? And they simply replied, no. Not one fish. He said, 
cast your net on the right side of the ship. Very specific, his instructions. And I, I don't, if it was me and I didn't know who it was, I'd be like, whatever, here's a whack job, let's go to the other shore over here, you know. But instead they obeyed. And look at the results of their obedience here in verse number 6. It said, they cast therefore, and they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Our obedience to God is important. It's not our obedience in our works that save us. We believe that today. We understand the Bible is very clear. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. And so we understand that God's saving power is not a result of me working for anything. But what we see on display here is these children of God who were now in obedience to the Word of God. God did miraculous works. Christian, let me just tell you, we can serve the Lord in our own power, but if we're not in obedience to God, we won't see His power at work. It is so important that we say, Lord, I want to first and foremost be in obedience to You. And God made a a great emphasis on obedience throughout the Word of God. If you remember King Saul, as he was preparing for battle, he would not wait on Samuel. Again, another problem with waiting. We're not the only generation. Isn't that good to know? It's a common theme with humanity. But instead of waiting on Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice, he did it in disobedience to God's Word. And now God, uh, God brings Samuel, and Samuel says this in 1 Samuel 15, 22, and he lays out God's heart regarding obedience. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And he says this, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. You know what he's saying? It's better to be in obedience to the Lord than bring your money to church. That's what he said. It's better to be obedient to the Lord than to bring a million dollars for our building program. That's hard for a preacher to say. But that's what God's Word says. He says, listen, God's going to bless your obedience. He's going to bless our obedience when we simply say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done in every way. You see, this is the same calling we have today. Simply obey the Lord. Teenagers, man, I'm so thankful for teenagers. I'm thankful for our teenagers at Hillside Baptist. I think we've got one of the greatest youth groups uh, in our church right now that I have ever seen. And let me just share something with you. Teenager, there's going to be times where you're tempted to stray from the Lord. There's going to be times where you think your mom and dad are stupid. Y'all have been there, you know. But let me just encourage you. Obey. Obey the Lord. Parents, let me encourage you. There's going to be times where we want to run away from our kids. There's going to be times where it's going to be hard to set an example for our children to be in the Word of God, to be people of prayer, to be, as, be able to be consistent day in and day out, to, to get up on Sunday morning and come to church, to be here on, on Sunday night or Wednesday night so that we truly can thrive in Jesus Christ. But let me just encourage you. Parents, choose then to say, Lord, you're first in everything. I want to be obedient to you. Grandparents, man, what an, what, a, what an impact grandparents have in lives today. You are the matriarchs and patriarchs of your family, and you lead families. Let me just encourage you. Lead them by your example of obedience to the Word of God. I just encourage you, Christian, hear the Word of God and obey Him. We see in the Scriptures, once again, we referenced this once before in Isaiah 40, 31, that just as the obedience of the disciples brought them great fruit, so our obedience to the Lord does too. This is, it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a result of obedience. You see, in the season of waiting, there was prayer. 
There's a turning to God, and the result is strength and power to do God's work. Paul, in, in, in his book in Philippians, who was in a Roman prison waiting to meet with Nero, uh, and as he wrote in Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You know, he wasn't talking about, listen, I can go lift a thousand pounds. He didn't say, I can go pull a 747. You know what he was saying? Listen, I can endure this trial. I can endure the next trial. I can do it because it's God that strengthens me and I rest in Him. This type of spiritual power is through the power of God alone. And it comes by waiting. But it also rests, not only is it obedient, but it also rests in His provision. Look and very quickly, verses 7-9. through nine. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And I love this because now we see Simon Peter. Uh, one, we have the two personalities. Remember John? He was always very sensitive to the Lord. He was called the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was called the beloved disciple. And, and this is something about John. He was very perceptive, but he wasn't always someone who acted. And Peter's just the opposite. He's not very perceptive. But he is a guy who acts very quickly. He, he outran, John, or John outran him, but he ran into the tomb first. Uh, here we have, uh, John says, oh, it's the Savior, it's our Messiah, it's Jesus. And Peter says, well, let's go get him. And he throws on his coat and he jumps out of the boat. But look at verse number 9, and I love this because Christ provides for them. It says, as soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. You see, Christ provided for the disciples. John Phillips, who's a commentator, said this, They were only about a hundred yards offshore. We can picture the scene of the small boat came into the shallows, and the other half-dozen disciples poured over the side and waded ashore, pulling the heavy dragnet with them, bursting with struggling fish. It was all so natural, yet supercharged with the supernatural. You see, God blessed them. God provided for them, not just in their fish, but even on the shore He provided. Sometimes we can grow discontent with God. Well, God, I don't want to go through this trial. God, I, I don't like uh, to have this season of waiting. God, I don't want to, uh, to go through this hardship or difficulty. You know, we live in an age where we want to uh, uh, guard ourselves from hardships. But it's in the hardships we find that God is faithful. It's in the difficulties and in those valleys and in those real trials that God reminds us of one, His presence, but two, He is faithful to walk with us. And we'd never know that without the trial. And so if we become discontent, let me just remind you what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You see, this kind of contentment grows from a life that is taking time to connect with the Father. And it knows that He is all you need. You see, when we rest in His provision, there's a heavenly power that comes on this life because there's nothing that you face that overwhelms you. Yes, going through a season of discouragement, you're going through a season uh, where it seems like things are, are, are difficult. But God's promises are always true. God's promises carry you through. And he says this, and Paul said this in, in a season of, of his uh, testing. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
And he said this, and, and when we can get there, we know that, uh, that we're walking with the Lord. He said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Our theme verse this year is Philippians 3.10. And he says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Listen, we want the first half of that verse, but the last half is not quite as welcome in our heart. But he says when we go through those sufferings and we go through those uh, hardships that He demonstrates His provision is enough. William uh, Chapman was able to visit London and he had an opportunity to visit General William Booth. At the time, he was over 80 years of age and Dr. Chapman listened reverently to the old general as he spoke of trials and different conflicts and all the victories that he had experienced as the leader of the Salvation Army. Then the American evangelist asked the general if he would disclose the secret for success. After just a moment of hesitation, Dr. Chapman said he saw tears come into the eyes and down the cheeks of General Booth. And he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London in my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there was anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Dr. Chapman said he went away from that meeting knowing that the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of surrender. Let me ask you today, maybe you're struggling with surrender. I think Peter was there. Maybe because of some things he had not really owned up to, some sin that he had not truly confessed and repented of. He was struggling with really surrendering to the Lord all he had. Maybe today, Lord, you're struggling because of doubt, of fear. Maybe there's sin that's there. And let me just in, invite you to trust in the Lord's provision, to rest that God is the God who supplies. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to His glory in Christ Jesus. But listen, but it requires that we rest in Him. But listen, this kind of provision, these kind of uh, the blessings that Peter experienced happened first and foremost because he was a child of God. Listen, God's provision for you and the greatest provision he provided he demonstrated on the cross he says in john chapter 3 and verse 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life this is what god did for you he gave his only begotten son so that we might have forgiveness of sins man what a glorious reminder this morning you see, without Him, I am nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. But with Him, we're like Peter as he throws the net on the right side of the ship in obedience. We're like Peter who we see God's provision there on the land and through the 153 fishes. We're like Peter when we can truly say, listen, God has provided a way. Listen, the Bible says that all are sinners. There's no way I can get to heaven on my own. I can't earn it. I can't work for my, my way there. The Bible says for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. But you see, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's what God offers you today. And that gift is Jesus dying on the cross for you. He died in your place. Listen, He did what I can't. He died so that I might have eternal life. You see, when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you call upon Him and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. 
God gives you the gift of salvation. And He invites you to accept that gift today. Christian, maybe you're here. You have a choice to make, just like I do, every single day. Will I walk in obedience? Will I live surrendered? Or will I try to go my own way? What will you do? Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?